My mum saw I wrote. <laughs> I had my kilt on and I stole the stuff. You're banned from the shop. <laughs> This is Midsummer Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into the episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, and the loonies, and everything else we love. I'm Mark. I'm Sarah. Welcome to the show. Just as a warning off the top, if you let your kids watch the show, they can listen to the podcast. We don't say any birdie dirds or anything. We try not to. Sometimes they slip out. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think this episode's going to evoke anything like that. No. <laughs> Made to measure murders. Oh boy, did we see something fun this week, though? Yes. All England's a buzz about the Hanford Parish Council Zoom meeting. I love that video. We got a couple of notes about it from people suggesting it is a midsummer episode. <laughs> I agree. If you haven't seen it, just watch the first few minutes of it. You'll get the gist. If you're not really into self-torture, then maybe you don't watch the whole thing. But it's it's a, a bunch of, of older people. I'd say they're all over 60 um, who are on the council having a meeting. I get the sense that it's kind of a subcommittee meeting, sort of, but it's a coup of kinds. I don't know, but they're very upset, but they're also very British. And then they kick somebody out of the meeting and it's on. It's on. (laughs) Yeah, so Zoom always sort of had waiting rooms for big webinar kind of meetings. But in the last six months or so, they instituted waiting rooms as an option for even smaller meetings. And so the whole idea that somebody on that call ejects somebody from the meeting and kicks them out back into the waiting room and then they get murdered. Yep. Out in the waiting room. Like that to me would be a it would be a great story. Yeah. Well, I wonder how many sort of pandemic episode things that we're going to see in the next five years. It'll be a while, I think, before anybody releases something like that. We'll have to be a good distance away. It'll be interesting. Too many people have died. Yes. To be able to josh around about it for quite a while. Now on to fake people dying. (laughs) This episode. Oh, well, you haven't even told them. Okay, so there's a mix up with the episodes. And the the 75th episode for us, because this is 74, will be Sword of Guillaume. Yeah. And the 74th episode is made to measure... On the website in Wikipedia, it says that this is the first episode of season 13. By the way, which should be renamed Tom Barnaby Has a Dad. Part one. (laughs) But the, like Amazon is kind of hedging their bets about which one is season one because they list it as the sort of Guillaume as season 13, episode one. But then the actual episode that you get to watch, if you click that, is made to measure. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, That's why I was so confused. It's all confused. And then different wikis have different listings. Yeah. The ITV site doesn't have anything definitive. We we tracked it down for you guys because we're weird. The, so the way we decided to cover this one first was that it aired before The Sword of Guillaume. 
Yeah. You know, so that's why we're so going to call it season I, 13, episode one. And I kind of like that one being episode 75. Because it's so awesome. Yes. Because there's beheadings and beh- stuff. Mark Gaddis, beheadings, New Barnaby. There's just so much yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, that'll be the next one we cover. But this episode, Made to Measure Murders, there's a lot of hyphens in this. Yep. June to July 2009 is when it was filmed, which is good because what Beatrice wears to church, she wouldn't wear that in the winter, that's for sure. No. Uh, she also wears it to her hoochie section. Did you S- notice? Spaghetti that? strap. Yep. Dress, yeah. Uh, broadcast the 12th of May 2010, a mere 10 years ago. You're bleeding me dry. million viewers, directed by Peter Scott, written by Andrew Payne, and I would say another in a long line of episodes of men writing women that maybe don't get women. I don't know. All I know is that it is like zero to 60 hatred for for Gerald Woodley in like three seconds flat. Yep. It's incredible how during that cold open... We only hear him say like three lines and you dislike him immediately. And when he dies, you don't even feel bad. And you've only known him for like 10 seconds. <laughs> I, I kind of want the So Gerald, there's a flashback in the cold opening and Gerald Woodley dies in the garden. Uh, right. Yep. And you kind of want to hear a little cheer from the house. Yay. <laughs> yeah. He keeps looking at the windows of the house and there's nobody in the windows. And then you just want to see after he's down and he's probably dead. Just a face peek out from the darkness into the light of the window and go, hee, 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 hee. Yay. So the, <laughs> the conceit is that the uncle and the son are working. Why is Gerald not working? He's in the garden. Why would he be gardening if he's so worried about money all the time? I don't know. You're trying to bleed me dry. Why wouldn't he be at the, at the tailoring shop where he works all the time? I don't know. I guess he took the day off. I guess so. To scream at his wife. Ah! <laughs> 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 Yeah, so, so he collapses. And this is two years ago. Yeah, two years to the day. Show some respect. <laughs> He's digging in his garden. Which has the straightest edges I've ever seen of a garden plot. And uh, it's so far back from the house. I'm like, why wouldn't you put the garden closer to the house? Where the sun is. Maybe. Ah, it's Gerald. Son. He's Help. clearly a jerk. Help. <laughs> oh, well, he's dead. Yeah, it's like, you're just screaming at the house. Mean things, and then you start to collapse, and then you yell for help and expect anybody to come help you. <laughs> like, you're a jerk. Nobody's coming. And then we're suddenly to the big house. Yes. And Edward Milton, and one of three appearances of Deborah Milton. <laughs> I kept forgetting she was a character. The manor. She waves. Bye. Get out of here. I don't like you. And we go to the tailor shop. So this is a a trope of small town village life that they have a a tailor shop for Mm. men's clothes. And like I grew up. It also does alterations for other people and has and is a family business. Yep. And I grew up. There were three towns near where I grew up that all the towns had one of these. The one that I like to go to best had both had a Boy Scout stuff in it. Because sometimes, like before, you could just order Boy Scout uniforms and stuff. 
because I was a scout. You you would go to these shops to get the stuff. That's where you'd buy it, or they'd custom make it? No, you'd buy it. Oh, okay. So they were the official distributor of Boy Scout paraphernalia? Yep. Uh, but also, <laughs> this one had a music shop in it. I think the son, one of the sons was like, hey, let's get some musical equipment in here, Dad. And he was like, okay, get people into the shop. Yeah, why not? Better than pre-holy jeans that sell for 150 quid a pop. Wow, those jeans, man. (laughs) You know who's not going to wear those jeans? Morris Bingham. My favorite person in the whole episode. Really, I think he is the only likable person who lives in Milton Arms, the village where this episode takes place. And he is at first. You're. They do a great job. You're. You're like. Is he? He's skeezy. He's rich. He's overweight, and he's overly friendly to Joyce. This is skeezy written all over it. But no. But no. He's extremely nice and a really good actor as well. <laughs> we've seen him. That's uh, Richard Cordray, and we've seen him in uh, The Straw Woman, and we'll see him again in The Killings of Copenhagen. Oh, okay. So. This is the second of his thir- three yeah, appearances he was in Midsummer. M- much more of a jerk in Straw Woman. Yeah, he was the doctor. Yeah, um, who took pictures of naked teen <laughs> girls. He's one of the many characters who do that in Midsummer. Yeah. What? Uh, and I think the reason why Morris is so awesome is that we're supposed to be able to easily contrast him with Milton. They're both wealthy. They both own land, and yet uh, Morris is is nice and friendly, and Milton is a jerk face. A domineering jerk face. You know when is not the best time to start a clothing shop for men's fancy clothes? The year before a global depression. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, they made it through 1929? Wow. Okay. Yeah. They're here for good. (laughs) Yeah. They they must have been hard at the start working, working their butts off to start a business then. And I would think that was Gerald's father. Yes. We have a undercurrent of fathers running through this episode that I think is going to run through all of the episodes. It's kind of a theme for this season. Yeah. Which is Tom's last season. And it's Tom's last season. And the last episode is certainly about Tom's dad. Yeah. Right. There, There is a conscious decision to do that. Yes. The other conscious decision here is they're going to touch on, like, because these episodes have themes... One of the themes they're going to talk about is high church, high Anglican C of E church. When they see a C of E, do you know what that means? Church of England. Yes, right. That's like I had a history teacher that wrote C of E all the time. And I write C of E and it just means Anglican. But they're, the high Anglican is it's the are, closest to Catholic you can get and still be Anglican. Like really, <laughs> Anglican, as I've said before, is like, we're Catholic, but we can get divorced and have women priests, and we're kind of okay with priests getting married. And don't do a lot of Latin. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no Latin, no. But, but it's the angry bastard religion, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. It's Henry VIII. Henry VIII's religion. But, but it's, the Reverend Moreland has recently started taking confession, which is a very Catholic thing yep, to do. Yep. But apparently it's within bounds for Anglicans. Like it's still there in the high rules. Church, it's okay. High church Anglicans can do confessions, but it's just you sitting with the priest, right? It's, there's not a booth. There's not a booth, a special confession booth, which I, I, I love that confession booth. I always wanted you to put a little coin in. <laughs> and then like this robotic priest, five Hail Marys. Yeah. <laughs> like Zoltar yeah. <laughs> on the other side of the screen. 
<laughs> he wouldn't say anything. It would just go, and then a little card would come through the slot. <laughs> it would say five Hail Marys. Tell your wife you're sorry. So we're in the tailor shop. Let's talk about tailoring because okay. this is kind of an important thing that goes through the whole thing. Yep. And one of the reasons why I love Morris Bingham is that he has his own tweed that he has created and it's obnoxious. It's awesome. It's fantastically obnoxious. It's like purple and red and he like, shows it off like it's the greatest thing ever. And Joyce is like, mm, that's unique. Unique. It's <laughs> novel. And and of course, you know, Milton is in there being fitted for a suit. And the contrast between them, you know, he's like, oh, I'm, I hope you're not going to wear that shooting. It'll scare away the birds. And Morris is like, OK, I don't care. Which that that contrast is important because so if you don't know, there's a difference between tartan, which is what you get with the clans in Scotland. Yes. Right. And the kilts are made of tartan and tweed. OK. Right. Both wool. Both have patterns. The patterns can be registered, but there's but there's important differences between them. So is tweed English and tartan Scottish? No, not necessarily. So tweed is a general term for clothing that is woven out of wool. Okay. Right? And it has a, um, it's a rough enough weave that colors of threads can be woven in and make a pattern that is visible. Okay. Right? So that's tweed. Clan tartan is a kind of tweed. Okay. And a state tweed is a kind of tweed. And what we're talking about here is a state tweed. Okay. All right. So clan tartans are based on who you're related to. You can wear it regardless of where you live. Okay. But a state tweeds, it doesn't matter who you're related to. It matters whether you live and work on the estate. Ah. They're location-based tweeds. So Morris's tweed are for people who work for Morris. Or people who live near him or around land that he owns that he likes. Yeah, okay. So they can wear it and be identified with his estate. Did you look into how much it would cost to make an actual tweed for a person like... Oh, to, to have a custom meat, a custom tweed woven for you? Yes. Oh, those prices vary huge and it's near impossible to have it done. Okay. You can have one printed, but if you actually want one woven, you got to go to like the Hebrides or something. It's crazy. <laughs> like like when you hear Harris Tweed, I'm sure you've heard of Harris Tweed. That That's like a copyrighted trademarked term for tweed woven in like a very narrow number of places on islands by shepherds. <laughs> you know, like it's... <laughs> it's pretty well protected, right? Okay. So the estate tweeds really came about because people who owned large estates often had lots of sheep. And so they had the wool that they could have that fabric made. But they also had gamekeepers and hunting parties. And hunting was an important part of owning an estate and running an estate. It was a way that you made money. Yes. Right. And so estate tweeds are originally intended to be kind of camo, right? Okay. You wear your estate tweed when you go out hunting because they're brown, green, mustardy, yellow, you know, they blend, they blend in. Yeah. They are country estate camo. Okay. Right? That makes sense. Estate tweeds. So Morris having a tweed that is so not that. Makes sense. Is saying something about yeah. who Morris is, right? Yeah. Because of that, once, and you also have to know, tweed might look fancy to us, but really it's utilitarian fabric. It's wool, it's fairly rough, and when it gets wet, the fibers swell to make it waterproof and really warm. Oh, okay. That's why you see these men like 
in like the early, you know, the twenties through the forties, maybe they're farm workers and they're wearing tweed suits. Yeah. Because that was like all weather wear work. for them. Yeah. yeah. And if you get a hole in tweed, real good tweed, all you got to do is rub it and felt it and it heals itself. Oh my gosh. It's magic fabric. It's magic fabric, right? When- so the Jeeves, where'd you go? Yeah. <laughs> Not only do you have camo, but if you rip a hole in that, you can just rub it and the hole goes away. So the other interesting thing that I found about the color is that because tweed is, you know, the earth tones for the, the estate camo, there's this rule, no brown in town. Oh. So you would have, you may have wool suits that are not tweed. And those are the ones you wear when you go to the city. Oh. You wear black, gray, and navy blue when you go into town. Into town. Right. Because that's city camo. Well, yes. Where Uh, you can blend into the dirt and the the smog. As we've mentioned, I love when they call it town. Yeah. (laughs) If you go into London, you're going to wear your city camo. If you go out to your country estate, you're going to wear your tweeds. Okay. That's, That's good. Our listeners know that now. Yeah. Because if they've been making faux pas... <laughs> they've been wearing their country tweeds into the big city. They'll wow. know now not to it's do like that. It's like wearing ripped jeans, man. They they also mentioned something I didn't even realize I didn't know. I, I thought I knew the difference between a single-breasted suit and a double-breasted suit, but I was wrong. Oh. Do you know what it, what it is? I mean, you're a man. You've worn suits. So what I remember is like a single-breasted suit is that traditional top coat with the three buttons, sometimes, rarely, never. Uh-huh. And then the double-breasted suit is buttoned higher up, I thought. No. Okay. See, I'm... and my impression was that it had to do with the lapels. Oh. Like how many times they, they jut in and then back out again. It's not either of those things. It's the number of lines of buttons. Oh. If there are two lines of buttons, like it overlaps and there's two lines of three buttons to button the jacket together, that's double-breasted. If there's only one line of buttons, it's single-breasted. Oh, okay. It should be single and double bellied <laughs> or tummied or something tummied. single tummied jacket double tummied jacket so i thought i knew what that was and oh, i didn't now you know now we know sorry i went down a tailoring rabbit hole there so the tailoring shop is now run by fretting sonia with the weird eyes yes what is up with her eyes they're just she's a- got some laura mars eyes going on there who's laura mars Eyes of Laura Mars is a famous 70s horror movie with uh, Faye Dunaway in it. Oh, does she have creepy eyes? Oh, boy, does she have creepy eyes. (laughs) And she sees murders with her creepy eyes. Oh, she just has very pale eyes. And then they put eyeliner top and bottom on her to make it contrast even more. Yeah, they're very pale. Yeah. And then her son, Luke, and then her brother-in-law, Matthew. Now, Luke is played by... What's, what is his name again? Carl Davies. Who is fantastic. Yeah. I really like him as an actor. He's, I forgot he was in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Mostly because Jamie kills him early on. Alton Lannister, so he would. My most recent memory of him is in Kingdom. Yeah. With Stephen Fry. In, in Kingdom, he plays the great kind of character. Like sometimes, Kingdom is like Midsummer, where the main character doesn't go through changes. Mm-hmm. But the... His minor character that helps him do- goes through changes. Yeah, and Carl that, Davies is Carl like Davies an apprentice barrister to working with Stephen Fry. To Stephen Fry, and he goes through a great amount of changes brought on because of Stephen Fry. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a good it's yeah. a good show. If you haven't, and seen he Kingdom, has crazy brothers. It. Yes. <laughs> 
So they now run the tailoring shop and Sonia, Sonia is fretting so much. She gets on my nerves. Sonia is like, I, I understand that she's devout. Okay. I don't have a problem with that. And I understand that what they did, which was wait until they were sure. They waited over an hour to call Gerald an ambulance. Okay. <laughs> they sat at the kitchen table and waited for him to die in the yard. <laughs> but the uncle says he hit her. Yeah, he was horrible. So I, like, I'm like, they sort of touch on abused women here, but not enough. I wish they had gone into it more. Well, the thing is, is that that's not what Sonia's actually freaked out about. No, no, it's not. Everybody thinks that Sonia's all stressed and doing her emotional vomit all over everybody around her because she's upset about Gerald's death. And it has nothing to do with him. No, why she doesn't open up the note and read it and show it to the uncle and the son and go, isn't this juicy? Exactly. But no, she like frets about it. And I don't know. I'm not really clear on how much of her upset is because she feels guilty and how much of it is about the pressure that this letter presents to her. I have all sorts of problems with that note anyway. So it is clearly a note ripped from a notepad. Yes. And folded up. Yes. Okay. Supposedly left by Katie. Yes. At the ice house. Yes. How how did she bring a pad with her? Did she have it in the car? Did she run back? Oh, you're having sex with somebody else. I'm upset. I'll leave a note. I'll leave. <laughs> did she bring a notepad? And if she brought a notepad to the ice house, what was she bringing a notepad to the ice house? Because the ice house is the love shack. Well, or the secret crazy temple. It, it, it depends. <laughs> what did he think was going to happen there with all those lights and that music? Is it? Is there power down there? I don't know, but he's got an iPod. He's got an iPod player, <laughs> right? Mar- Martin's anyway, got an iPod. We're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> so I don't know how much of... Of uh, Sonia's flipping out is about her being guilty about them sitting and waiting for Gerald to die versus the pressure of having this letter. And I think, but I think you're underestimating that letter a little bit because Edward Milton owns everybody except Morris. He owns them. But so, so why if, doesn't she go? This is our lease right here. Because that's blackmail. <laughs> Okay. And it's sort of not okay to do. Okay. So the husband of the woman who wrote the letter works for Edward Milton and the Woodley's tailoring shop is leased from Edward Milton. Yeah. So she's got a bomb. Yeah. In her pocket. Yeah. she does. It exposes Edward Milton's hypocrisy to the core. Or it doesn't because there's no names on it at all. Yeah. It's just some note. Who yeah. knows? Anyway, sorry, jumping around. They the tailoring shop is clearly they're trying to get updated. Luke is trying to bring modernity to the tailoring shop by bringing in holy jeans and the most hideous sneakers I have ever seen. Well, those sneakers are still stealable. Oh, the, the the kids lust after those Velcro strap sneakers. <laughs> they, they're like nursing home sneakers. They're horrible sneakers. <laughs> And they don't suit anything else in the place. Like Sonia's dusting fedoras. And they're the worst shoplifters ever. Giant white Velcro sneakers. Do you think they're actually trying to shoplift or they're just looking at stuff? I don't think they have any intention to buy. They can't buy. They're broke. Yeah. 
So I wouldn't be surprised if they thought they were going to take off with them. But this is the kind of shoe display you can't really steal from because they only ever have one shoe out at a time and it's probably not in your size. Yeah. So you're going to have to shoplift twice. I thought they to get both shoes. I thought they did a spectacular job at wrestling on the floor. Yes. It's such a small shop. <laughs> it is one of those shops where if you put your arms out, you knock something over. They sent me down a rabbit hole of how stupid shoplifters are. Because <laughs> this is like everybody in town knows everybody, A. Yeah. So they're going to clearly know who stole them. B, uh, ugly merchandise that why would a kid that age really want? Yep. And and see, what are you going to steal? The one shoe that's on display? There's lots of videos on YouTube for stupid shoplifters, but I didn't, I wanted to go a, a higher level than that. So not people sticking two liters up their shirts. Yeah, stuff like that. And, you know, shoplifting is one of those weird things where stores expect it, right? They know they can't prevent 100% of it. Yeah. And it's almost a rite of passage as a kid to do a shoplifting thing, you know? For so, some people. For I some suppose, people, yeah. it's an easy crime. You know, one of my best friends shoplifted. His mother took him back to the store and made him give the stuff back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's embarrassing. Oh, but wow. I got two stories of really stupid shoplifters. Stu- dumber than this kid? Oh, Dumber my, than yes. Gary? One is American, one is British. All right, lay mommy. Okay, uh, a woman in December of 2019. Recent. There was an event at a Walmart. Now, in the United States where they're trying to promote collegiality with the police force. They have these community building events. Right. This Get to know the police in your area this event, as people and let them know you as people, and then we'll all get along better, right? This event at the Walmart was called Shop with a Cop. <laughs> oh, okay. Does he push your cart for you or something? Yeah, he goes around, pushes his cart, and, <laughs> you know, it's community policing. And you're supposed to chitty chat while you're shopping? There are dozens of police... In the atrium of the store and in, in the store, in the store and in the parking lot. Not a good day to try to take something. Cruisers everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and this woman shoplifts a coat right in front of them. Just puts it on and walks out with it. It says she forgot her debit card and left everything. And then she they find the coat. and She's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> well, you know. Wow. They're too busy with this big public event to notice me taking this coat. They'll and, never catch and me. And then I was like, oh, I feel bad. Maybe she needed a coat yeah. or something. It was December in Oxford, Ohio. Yeah, so. maybe she just needed a coat. But but, honey, wait till the next day. Yeah. <laughs> Go to Target. They're not having an event. <laughs> Shop with a cop. Shop with a you cop. You imagine you go in and they insist that a cop goes shopping with you, and you're like, "No, thank you." They're like, "Oh yeah, he's gonna go," you know. And they're pushing the cart, and you're like, "I need some like personal stuff, and I don't really want to grab it in front of this guy." And we'd be cart. like, "We'd be like, are you a detective?" No, no. Oh, well, if you it, don't solve murders, is there a detective? To you. Yeah. <laughs> can, we, can we hang out with him? We want the plain clothes. Cop we have to some. Shop with se- us. We have several questions. Let's go sit down and have a coffee. Do you mind if we podcast? This. Yeah, can we record this shopping with a cop? We've said that all cops are men, that whole conversation. Yeah. They're not. Nope. <laughs> the second one is even better. So this is what happened. An individual stole some stuff from a store. Okay. The store owner took the CCTV footage. This okay. is near Cambridge. Took the, the CCTV footage. 
in the UK and took a screen grab from it and posted it in the store. Have you seen this person? He stole from me. Okay. With little black bars over his eyes. Okay. This goes viral on Facebook in Cambridge. Of course. (laughs) The hot Cambridge Facebook. Yes. The shoplifter goes to the cops to complain that this individual has placed, uh, put his face all over Facebook. Well, it's slander. Yes. <laughs> but he clearly shoplifts in the video. <laughs> I may have taken something, but that's no excuse for him to slander me all over and the, the place. Guardian, the Guardian is awesome for a number of reasons. <laughs> Awesomely bad, usually. But the headline is, Stupid shoplifter caught after complaining to police about victims wanted poster featuring his face. <laughs> but the subtitle is better because like the Guardian is so like we're objective. No, we're not. No, we're not. The thief walked into the police station to moan that he had put, that the shop owner had put a picture up in his shop after it went viral thanks to Facebook. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You had stole the stuff. You had gotten away with it. Yeah, no, you gotta, you gotta keep your mouth shut at that point. <laughs> oh, me mom saw your my picture on Facebook. Okay, you wait, gotta take it down. Where are they from now? Because <laughs> that was Highlands there. Yeah. Ah, my mom saw. I know. <laughs> I had my kilt on and I stole the stuff. You're banned from the shop. <laughs> Well, that's about as smart as Gary Soper is trying to steal something from this tiny shop, if indeed that's what he was doing. So, Plus, his parents clearly hate him. They named him Gary. And this is the busiest. Who names the kids in the 90s Gary? This is the busiest shop in the world. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> it has Gary and his friend. Just hanging out and checking out the cool gear in there. Sonia, Beatrice, the uncle, the son, Joyce. Yeah. We haven't even got there yet. Yeah. Joyce, Morris. Morris. And... and- Edward Martin. Edward Martin. Milton. Milton. Why they think they need four employees to run a store that you can like touch both walls with your hand. (laughs) I don't, I don't know. Like I understand the uncle is the the tailor in the back with Beatrice. They need one person back there and one person in the front. That's all they need. That's it. No wonder they're, you're bleeding me dry. We've got a dozen people working at our shop. (laughs) So we go to the Barnaby's and Barnaby's reading the paper. He's reading the Costin Advertiser, which is one of the papers from Costin. Yes. It says on the front page, Costin Lad excels in national games. The national games. Ooh. Heading for top spot. In what? It doesn't say. It looks like running. Running. Yep. Okay. And then the headline on the back is council gives uh, give in on cycle lanes. And I was like. Imagine that Zoom meeting. I, yeah. <laughs> I was like, would that really be a headline? And then I remembered we there there's a two guys on YouTube that we love called Map Men. Yeah. And they have a whole video map about Man, Map Man, Map 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 Man, Man. They have a whole video about bike lanes in London. I'm like, yeah, that would be a headline. Yeah, that would be a headline. And and all oh, Joyce does for the first half of this episode is sew buttons on shirts. I think that's what she's doing. I guess. But did you notice there's there's a thing here? Which bothered me. Gerald is cheap, so he's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. But Barnaby's cheap, and he's not a bad guy. He's not aggressive about it. No. He's reluctant, but he always gives in. Yeah. That's the difference. Brownie blue. It's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> what 
color is my coat? The brown, blue, gray. Uh, that sounds expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, a not a coat, not a, a top coat, but a bespoke suit, even a smaller tailor, starts at about three grand. Wow. So it's expensive, but they have over 50 hours of work in them. Yeah. So... I understand a coat, maybe, but a whole suit is a lot. Yeah, that's expensive. Back at the store, I love how Katie comes in to apologize for Gary, and the son is like, if he does it again, I'll kill him. Yeah. (laughs) You're overreacting there, Luke. Wow, we... 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 (laughs) Escalated there. And the soapers drive that little hatchback with a trash bag for a window. Like right off the bat, we are hit over the head with these people are not well off. Yeah. She needs to do sewing work at home to make ends meet. Yeah. And the fact that their son is a loser, it just adds to their problems. These poor people. And then Katie, not Katie, sorry. Sonia goes to church. No, Sonia goes to the mentions first, where she shares the note with... No, she goes to the church first because Wendy is in the back juggling hymn books. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Sorry. What is she doing back there? I don't know. Dropping them, slamming them to the ground. The church is St. Chad's. Yes, which is actually the real name of the church. With the vicar, Archie Moreland. I love he's the name. least Archie Archie ever. He does some good acting here. He's an Archibald. He's not yeah. Archie. Yeah, we've seen him before, haven't we? In the other episode. Yes, he's he's been in many other things. Um, he's in a later episode of Midsummer. He's also in the Killings of Copenhagen, which is also where we see Morris again. Yes, they're in the same. They play brothers. Um, in the next one. So I was interested in St. Chad's. Okay. Because I'd never heard of St. Chad before. Chad is a guy who's in a fraternity in Florida. Yeah, to me, Chad is like a a bro name. You know, it's like a Kev, you know. But turns out that's not right. Chad was a 7th century saint. Oh. So his name is one of the few names that are from the Anglo-Saxon Roman period of England that is still a popular name. Wow. Um, I had to... <laughs> I'm so, I'm so blasphemous. It's not Chadicus? No. <laughs> I'm so blasphemous because his... The cult of St. Chad, they have two main pieces of, uh, oh, what do they call it? When you've got like a part of a, of a saint's body. Oh, it's, um, relic. Relic. Thank you. Um, there's two primary relics for him. Um, one is, is like his tomb and there's some bones or whatever, and that's in a cathedral. But the other one is his skull that's kept in a special head chapel. (laughs) Oh, and I know a head chapel is just the name of a part of a chapel, but the fact that they keep his skull in the head chapel just cracked me up. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it just cracked me up. There's also a lot of jokes about St. Chad being the patron saint of botched elections oh. because of the hanging chads in Florida uh, okay. yeah. <laughs> way back when. Yes. Um, but <laughs> Back in those halcyon days of 2000. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so Chad, his brother's name was Sed, C-E-D-D. So uh, Chad was a popular name in the 7th century and is still a somewhat popular name. I've known Chads in my life. Other names from this period have not done so well. Oh, okay. So here are a few other popular names for men in the 7th century. Okay. Ionus. Okay. Ilianus. Okay. Cosmos. Phobamon. <laughs> okay. Um, Dorotheus. 
Dorotheus. Like Bonus. Bonus. And the um, the optim. Mm, I'm gonna try again. Theopemptus. Oh, so Chad and Bonus might have gone out. <laughs> no, it would be two dudes. Well, no, but like went out on the town together. Yeah. Bonus. Like, yeah. <laughs> He's better yeah. than Wingman. He's a bonus. Bonus. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> what do you want? No, I just said bonus. Uh huh. And you were talking to me. Oh, that was bad. That's like a who's on third bonus yep. joke. So the, the the women's names that were most popular. Oh, oh, oh. This one has four vowels together in the middle, and it's not Welsh. Okay. Prakta. Prakta. Okay. Proba. These all sound Roman. They are Anglo-Saxon Romanized names. Okay. So this is this is the era where the Anglo-Saxons are like kind of playing nice with the Romans for the benefits, and then sort of thinking about. But we'll stab you in the back as soon as we get a chance. We're getting you out of here, right? Yeah. Um, Bledsworth. Okay. And my favorite. Okay. Sexburg. Sexburg. There were women named Sexburg. Let's go to Sexburg. So it's like, hey, bonus, I hear you have a hot date on Friday night. With yeah. Sexburg. We're going out with Sexburg. <laughs> going to Sex Town with Sexburg. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't imagine. You, you have twins, a boy and a girl. You name them Bonus and Sexburg. <laughs> just, just wrong. That is so wrong. Much like the fact that we haven't even got to the murder of this episode. Like, yes. this episode. <laughs> and we're 42 minutes into the podcast. But, but Bonus and Sexburg might be buried in that, that graveyard where Sonia's about to die. <laughs> So they all go to church, and Sonia's going to meet with the... Well, Sonia goes to Wendy's and shows Wendy the note. Oh, and, and we've got killer vision through a bush. Yeah, You would see that person. Yes. And how did he know? Because one assumes that killer vision is Milton. Yes. How did he know to go there? He's following Sonia. Why? Because she's got the note. How does he know she has... Because he left it in his pants. How does he know that she has the note and not Luke or the uncle? Maybe he's watched her every time she's, you know, (laughs) furtively taken it out of her purse and read it and tried to throw it away and then folded it back up again and put it back in. And plus, doesn't he have an estate to run? No. Okay. He's got serfs to do that. Okay. So we we get to go to Wendy's house where Killer Vision happens. But the best part of any time you go to Wendy's house is her husband. Which adds to a new segment on Midsummer Maniacs called... This is an ongoing joke in our house yep. about people who have background artist roles yes. in, in really big shows. And it, it comes from, we, we watched a show on HBO called Rome, and there's a part where slaves are evaluated naked. Yes. And we, and we were like, like mom, painted, mom, I got a part. Yeah, they're like painted gold or something. We just imagined one of these men, an aspiring actor. Gets a role on the biggest show on HBO. Mom, from, mom, I got a part. I'm so excited. What's the role? Um, I have... Mm, I got my ding-a-ling out. <laughs> I got a... Uh, I'm just in the background. I'm just standing there. It's important, though. I'm kind of part of the set, and um, I'm naked. <laughs> what? <laughs> now, 
Her husband isn't naked. No, no, no. That would be, oh, wow, poor Trevor. It would be totally different. She's like, Trevor, go to the pub. I don't care if you're naked. Get out of here. Trevor would be like, God, put some clothes on. No, get out. (laughs) So poor Trevor. He's playing by John Draycott. We need to give him some credit. Mom, I got a part in A Midsummer Murder. I get to play the husband of one of the key characters. Yep. And every time I'm on screen. Are you the murderer? She tells me to go away. (laughs) I just go away. <laughs> Do you like to go away? You may be perfect for this role. <laughs> and he sells it. He's like, oh. <laughs> when he's in the kitchen, I sort of understand because Wendy was clearly like doing something in the kitchen before Sonia got there. But later when Tom shows up, she walks all the way out to the garden and tells him to hit the bricks. Well, mostly like I he think he's he, out there minding his own business. I think he goes out to the pub and goes, Milton, what are you doing in my backyard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Trevor. <laughs> and so then we get Sonia to see, goes to meet. Yes. At Evensong. After Evensong, she's going to see the vicar. So Evensong is essentially the last prayer meeting of the day. It's usually evening prayer. Right. Um, it's another thing where they're like, we're going to do everything the Catholics do, but we're going to change the name. Yeah. So it's Vespers in the Catholic Church. Okay. So it's usually around sundown, but different churches have it between 5 and 7.30. Okay, so not at 9. No. Then why is Sonia out? This is spring, summer. Yep. And she's out in utter darkness. Well, it's just after Evensong. He said after Evensong. Well, I guess that's any time between that one and the next one, technically, but not probably. (laughs) Midnight is after Evensong. It is. He says he hung around for an hour and she hadn't showed. So she's already dead when he gives up looking, waiting for her. Why is it so dark? It's so dark. Why does she go into the churchyard? Like that's how you get to the church. No, there's a clear path that leads to the church. Well, it's no fun if you can't prance between the gravestones and the darkness to get to the church to tell the vicar that you got a note. Look, I've got a note. Under the full moon, she gets stabbed. She gets conked on the head and then stabbed in the back. Yep. It's not a nice way to go. No. Boy, this church has a lot of pamphlets. They, they go over far too quickly, so I can't see them. And they're everywhere. And they have a number of different colors. Do you have a problem with the Woodsley's kitchen? What specifically problem do you have with the Oh, yeah, I have several problems okay. with the Woodsley's kitchen. This is the kitchen in the house that Sonia, Luke, and Matthew live in. Yes. Um, now... They live in an older house. These are beautiful older houses. They have big beams in the ceiling, which makes the ceiling kind of low. And so you already get a sense of claustrophobia in a house Mm -hmm. like this, right? So what do you do to make it feel open? You hang like an acre of dried something above the kitchen sink. Okay. And then you cover every single surface, whether it's vertical or horizontal, with tchotchkes and junk, including at least a dozen identical church pamphlets yeah they're everywhere yeah everywhere and did you notice her jesus corner in the kitchen yeah i did notice the jesus corner <laughs> sonia's got a jesus corner it's in a little kitchen. jesus corner and if you have a jesus corner that's okay yeah but to have it in the kitchen's a little i don't know maybe it helps with food maybe, maybe. she's got like those saints collector cards pinned up above the aga too well, where were those cards and where was Jesus when Harold Gerald was dying in the yeah. backyard? <laughs> Helping him count down the time. So at the scene of the crime, 
Edward Milton arrived. And this is his first contact with Barnaby and Jones. Yeah. And he says the thing that I hate. He goes, well, I'll do anything to help. I'm like, well, then you should confess. That would be nice. Because he's the killer. Yeah. He's obviously, he is, again, one of those, like, I'm so hypocritical. I'm going to get myself into the investigation. Yes. Because I'm in denial yeah. About who oh, I actually am. He, the d- the river of denial runs through Milton Milton uh, uh, Milton Cross. Arms. Uh, Milton Cross, sorry. Yes. yes. And it's um full of crocodiles. Yep. <laughs> that should should come and get him. When they talk to the priest, when they talk to Archie, he does some good acting there. When when he talks about how Sonia was dead and how he found her and stuff. Yeah. How he probably walked right by her in the dark. That's that's a great detail. Yeah. That that's the kind of thing that would haunt you. Yeah. And it's an interesting contrast between, you know, I might have saved her, but I I probably stepped right past her in the dark versus we sat at the kitchen table knowing he was dying in the backyard yes. and waiting. Absolutely. Do you notice that Gary Soper cleans out his garden at night? Gary Soper's a weird dude because No, I'm sorry, Derek. Derek Soper. <clears throat> Derek Soper is a weird dude because he's both angry and then he watches soccer on, sorry, football on TV. He has a bit to drink and then loses consciousness so his <laughs> wife can leave for hours and go do her booty call in the ice house. She can off-road in their hatchback. <laughs> that little car is not meant to drive no. out into the woods like that. It's not. <laughs> I love it. Jones is Jones says to, to Barnaby, this village is weird. And Barnaby says, Jones, they're all weird. They're all weird. Like, it took you 13 seasons to admit that? Yes. That they're all weird. This is the last time I'm repairing one of your shirts, especially in this episode, since we've never seen you repairing shirts before. <laughs> and then Jones gets out the big map. Okay, so Tom's got a thing about maps. He, he wants does. a map. He for really everything. likes maps. He gets happy when they have a map on the big board. So of course I looked at the map because I can. It has Milton's cops on it, and I thought that was familiar. But we've had Briar's cops and different yeah. other cops, but we haven't had Milton. It's just cops. a small wood, right? Yeah, and Milton's Arms, which is the pub. Mm-hmm. Do you know why they're called Arms? The coat of arms. Yeah, it's the coat of arms of the the family Milton. Okay. So that's why they're called, that's why the pub's called the arms. Because basically, Milton owns this too. Yeah. Because Milton owns everything. Yet another thing Milton owns and puts his name on. Mm-hmm. They, you look at that map and you realize everything is Milton something. Yeah. Except for Milton's ice house or Milton's mausoleum. <laughs> <laughs> I almost just want to see like big purple patches that say Morris's place. And he says, he, <laughs> not Milton. Jones says he owns half the county. That's a lot. If he owns half of Midsummer County, why haven't we seen him before? Well, he's been off getting ready to kill. This whole whole episode is about the fact that Milton is Lord of the Manor and everybody's afraid of him. They all go to church because he pressures them to. They're worried about their businesses because he holds their leases. They can't talk to the cops because he owns their homes. But He's got the whole village in a stranglehold. Including his wife, oh, which his is the wife. problem with motive here. Because understandably, the motive is, I don't want people to know about my fooling around with young women. Mm-hmm. Why does it really matter? 
other than he's so uh, it would reveal pious. his hypocrisy. It would reveal his hypocrisy. But the, to kill two people, including a priest, to cover your hypocrisy on sanctified ground in two days because it's two days in a row they find a body in the in, in the, the churchyard. Graveyard. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a, it. Just seems to be a much. He's me. a Looney Tune. George is going to troll the archives. I'm like George is on Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> I love when he wears that little bonnet hat in yeah. the mortuary. <laughs> he says that the wife's sister goes to church there. Because she likes all the rigmarole? Rigmarole. And so I did some digging on rigmarole because I love that word. I say it all the time. People look at me strange. And that's a reference to the fact that St. Chad's is a high Anglican, right? Yes. That's what she's referring to. Yeah. Okay. So Edward I of England forced Scottish nobility to sign these really long oaths to him. They're the great big long uh, pieces of parchment mm-hmm. called ragmen rolls. They and called the, the Scots ragmen? Yep. That's not nice. And then that became rigmarole <laughs> for overly Because they were so long. And, yeah. Okay. So like when we lease a car and they put out the contract and that it's is like four feet clearly long. clearly a rigmarole. So it's, it, it's a noun. Yeah. Oh, okay. All Rag- that rigmarole. Ragman roll. Yep. Huh. Now the, you know. Do, does the landlord get a name in this episode? He gives Jones a whole bunch of information, but I, no. don't, I don't think he landlord. gets a name. Landlord. Bartender. I like him, though. Did you notice Luke's shirt when they go to the house again to interview him? No. And he's he's really kind of bitchy to... Oh, when he's all casual in the shorts? Yeah. That shirt's really nice. I liked it. I was like, <laughs> oh, I wonder if I could get one of those. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I I should just note, since we've just mentioned that uh both Sonia and the vicar are killed in the churchyard. They're killed on hallowed ground. And you know Milton is like so uppity and pious and yet he's killing people. And I thought yeah. and he even kills two of them in the churchyard. That's like hallowed ground. That's gotta be worse yeah. than just regular murder. Yeah. So I looked up whether there was any rule against, like, that's like a modifier to the badness of murder, you know, like, oh, it's even worse. And you probably know there are like levels of sin in the Bible and there's some sins are unforgivable and some are are even worse. There's a, a category of sins called sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. Ooh. Do not do these things. Okay. And among them are murder and oppression of the poor or injustice to wage earners, taking advantage or defrauding workers. Wow. That's Milton all over the place. He does both of those things. They should have called this episode Cry to Heaven for Vengeance. Should have. Because, man, if he was like trying to do the worst things, like if he had a little list of, of the really bad stuff, he's just checking them off. He's a bad dude. Beatrice is all over Jones in the shop, mm-hmm. and it bothers me. And she talks about North by Northwest. She's supposed to be an apprentice tailor, but she seems more like she's learning how to do sales instead. Yeah. Because she's very much like, well, that suit's okay, but it sucks in this way, this way, this way, this way, and this way, but... But it's nice. Meanwhile, Barnaby's over huffing fabric. He's huffing the tweed. <laughs> I can't tell you how angry it makes it makes me that she cuts that piece of fabric and gives it to him. I said, whoa, out loud. I went, whoa. Because 
not only does she take a swatch that's way too big, but she cuts it from exactly the wrong place. Oh, you just, just don't do that. You trim an end. Yeah, it's so wrong. You do not do what she did. <laughs> so this this suit, this North by Northwest suit that Jones wants. Yeah. Right. He's the whole episode. He's talking about how he'd love to have a suit like Cary Grant has yep. in that movie. Um, and that, that suit is famous because Cary Grant practically wears it the entire movie, except one time when it's taken off of him and he's in a towel. Yeah. And then they give him some stuff from a local shop. Mount or Rushmore, out in the middle of the fields in Iowa. So I love Cary Grant so about, so much. His real name was Archibald Leach. Yep. And I would have loved him even if he was an Archibald. Yep. Uh, he picked his own suit. Oh, that's cool. For that movie. Hitchcock said, you have far more fashion and taste than I do, so I'll leave it up to you. Okay. And wardrobe um, masters weren't really a thing yet quite for like high fashion stuff like that. And that that. movie is all about set pieces, not clothing. Well, it's important that his clothes stay the same. That's the whole idea is that he's on the run. He gets no rest. He can't go home. He can't change clothes. So the suit has to be perfect, yeah. right? So it's his own, he picked it out. He had it made by his tailors in Savile Row. Okay. Kilgore, French, and Stanbury. Mm. But the best- He uses them too? <laughs> Just like me. Yeah. <laughs> but the best piece of trivia I can tell you about that suit is that the suit is so infamous. It's so well known that a uh, writer named Todd McEwen wrote a short story from the perspective of the suit. Wow. Um, it's in a magazine called Granta Magazine. Uh, it is well worth a skim. It's the plot of the movie from the suit's perspective. Oh, that's super cool. And it's fun. It's really fun. I like fun. that. Jones gets all muddy, and then we have the scene. There's just no excuse for them not me, to have wellies in their trunk. I'm sorry. It drives me insane. First mm-hmm. of all, Milton shows up quoting the Bible. Psalm 25, verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth. It's a good thing to think. <laughs> yeah. If he thinks his youth was two days ago when he killed people. Yeah. But then he makes his wife clean Barnum Jones's shoes. Oh. Just. And of course, Barnaby shows up and Jones has his feet up. Jones does some one or two. Jones does the right thing. Milton insists. Yeah. And it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. I feel bad for Jones. It's just, I just want to shake him, slap him. Did you, like, suddenly... Sonia has a trust fund that came out of nowhere. Like Milton mentions it, but that's not ever talked about in the rest of the episode to this point. And does she know it? I don't know. Because she's not living like she knows that there's a six-figure trust fund for her. Yeah, like why would she not get that money right away? Yeah, it's not like you get it when you turn 21. She's over that. She's over 21. Oh, there's so much about him I can't stand. Like, uh, so they go back to talk to Wendy Minchin again. This is when she kicks Trevor out of his own garden. And she is so hesitant to talk to them because she says that they, the cottage is owned, Milton owns their cottage, right? Yeah. So if you make this man mad, you're homeless. Yeah. And that's what Derek Soper is so worried about too, because his whole family lives in a cottage owned by Milton and he works at Milton's farm. Yep. At home farm, and if he got fired, he'd be homeless. And he's sleeping with his wife. Yeah. I mean, can can he really say anything about that? Oh, it's, it's just dis- horrible. It's despicable, right? Yeah. But what 
What Milton is doing, granted, it is not done anymore. There are just not that many manor estates left anymore, right? Because yeah. like, especially after the war, after the second war, most of those estates had to be sold off as soon as there was inheritance tax and, and, and death duties and all that. death duties. And then, you know, you just couldn't get the staff. You couldn't afford to get the staff to, to maintain them. And so a lot of them were sold off. But what I didn't know is that so they do they can still exist. Right. You can still be Lord of a Manor yeah. in the UK. And it's it's three things. You have to own you own the land. You own the rights over the land. And it gives you the ability to collect taxes, services, some kind of income yeah. from the people who live on that land. Okay. Right? So that's one thing. But for his employees to live in homes based on basically service contracts. Yeah. So it's like a, a it's a service lease, which means once you are not employed by me anymore, you are not allowed to live in that house anymore. Even if you pay rent, you're still out. Yeah. If you get fired, if you quit, if the business, if the estate goes under you're out. Yep. That is not a good place to be. No. But it's not among the worst things that Lords of the Manor could do. Oh, oh. Now, this has not happened for a long time. Yes. Okay. I'm just going to p- put that out there, but I wouldn't have put it past Edward Milton. Have you ever heard of Jus Primus Noctis? Yes. So this is first night. Yes. Which is the idea that when you are serf to the manor when you get married you have to get permission from the lord of the manor from lord of the manor and he has the option to spend your wedding night with the bride not you yeah now there's no evidence that any um lords ever exercise that right but there is evidence of people paying a fee to prevent it well that is so they so some some dudes at least threatened to do it. That is right? quite the racket. Yeah, you already live on my land. You live here by my permission. I had to say that it was okay for you to get married, and now if you don't want me to sleep with your brand new wife before you do, you got to pay me. But that's not the worst. Oh, are you ready for the oh, worst? Hit me. <laughs> that's I mean, pretty bad. No, Milton could be worse. Okay. Here's how he could be worse. Uh, in the 17th century, there was a, 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 a right that lords could claim called, and I'm going to totally butcher this, droit, D-R-O-I-T? Droit. Droit de prélassement. Okay. It means the right of lounging. Okay. It was the right of a lord to use the entrails of one of his subjects to warm his feet. Wow. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> My feet are cold. Fetch me a surf. Gut him and put his guts on my feet. Mm. (laughs) Couldn't we make a fire, sir? Or do you cut him open and just kind of like nestle your feet inside? (laughs) That's even worse. (laughs) This is largely seen as kind of a, it's an absurd accusation against. Yeah. The aristocracy, they probably didn't really have that right or ever exercise that right. But but Edward Milton could be worse. But if you pay me, I won't do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why he's got the scissors, because he's thinking about, if I just stab him in the right place, I can just tuck my little footsies in there. Sure is a nice so little cozy. surf hut you've got here. <laughs> Pity somebody would come along and gut you and put their feet in you. <laughs> What a racket. (laughs) 
Oh boy. Yeah, it could be worse. So we go from that a hideous scene with <laughs> Milton and his wife and Jones to my favorite scene. Which is what? Which is, first of all, the vicar says he's big in the beam when he's putting on his new outfit. Oh, he thinks his butt looks big in his which new... Is, which is vicar for, my ass looks giant <laughs> yes. in this thing. <laughs> well, it is a vicar poncho. It's not meant to make you look svelte. It is a vicar poncho. And then we have Morris's confession. I confess that I've seen a little plot of land I would like to buy. He's he's lustful for a tiny little plot of land. And then he says something that's tiny, but it shows so much character. He goes, I kind of make up stuff to tell him. Yeah. It, just to give the vicar something to do. He to just make him likes feel hanging important. out with the vicar. Yeah. They seem kind of pally with each other. They do. But he forgets to give him the envelope that Sonia has given him. Why Sonia didn't plan on giving the envelope to the vicar when she was going to see him herself, I don't know. Okay. Here is my problem. My biggest problem with the episode. Why is Milton in the church? Because they do kill her vision. Mm-hmm. How can they not see Milton in the church? <laughs> Maybe he's got special church tweed that lets him camo into the wall of the church. <laughs> he has to be 20 feet away from them in an empty church. He could, they could hear him breathing. <laughs> they could hear his tweed rustle. And why Morris doesn't go, oh, hi, Milton, on the way out. <laughs> he turns around. I, I watched it twice. He turns around after giving the vicar the note and walks towards Milton hiding behind the. the he forgets to give the vicar the note. He takes it with him because later he gives it to Barnaby. He gives him the envelope. No. No, no. Oh, no, you're right. He does give him the envelope, but he's never looked inside it. He forgets to tell Barnaby. That he did it. That he did it. That he gave it to the vicar. Maybe Milton is like in a suit that makes him look like a pew. Yeah. And if he holds real still, it's like, oh, there's an extra pew in this row. That's new. Anyway. Well, it's dark. (laughs) I'm going to go frump some flowers in the graveyard. Whammo! Not just whammo, but I'm going to snip your throat with these big scissors. Archie does not get what he deserves in this episode. And then when he's dead, his foot is up on a gravestone. Wow. Like, did Milton, like, football knock him out or something? I think he just lunged at him and snipped him in his throat uh, and he fell backwards. (laughs) Meanwhile, Morris is still in the parking lot going, what are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) Wait a minute. Did I hear something? Nah, it was probably just a fox. They would have known he was there. I think so, too. But, you know, you got to play along. It's midsummer. Yeah. Those shears that Milton is using. Yes. Are Taylor's shears. Yeah. Which can be up to 18 inches long. Oh, baby. They're, uh. And that's a hunk of metal. If you Barnaby's wanna, right. If you want to know. There is a site called the Digital Museum of Taylor's Shears. (laughs) I'm not kidding. They've got examples of some of the best hand-restored Taylor's Shears you've ever seen. Wow. Including a pair that is 16 and a half inches long and weighs over a pound. Wow. That is a murder weapon. Yeah. I have cut many a pattern out of all kinds of fabric. You name it, I've sewn it. And I want some of those shears. (laughs) Just admit it. <laughs> I really wish I had a pair of 16-inch long 
fabric scissors that I could write on with Sharpie. Fabric only to make sure the kids don't use them for other things. I was just cutting cardboard with them. It would be like like using gardening shears to cut fabric. Yeah. It's crazy. Did you know that, speaking of Cary Grant and Hitchcock, in uh, Dial M for Murder, shears are used as a murder weapon? Yes, I did know that. Grace Kelly uses them. Yes, Grace Kelly uses the shears. And that the oldest of the three Greek fates, her name is Atropos, carried shears to cut the threads of life. So if you died, it was because she cut the threads that connect you. And George remembers where the shears are from. A 2005 case where a gardener got killed. Because he refused to trim his own hedges. Yeah, that's a lost midsummer plot right there. I need to know. Yeah. Another. So how many deaths have been in Badger's Drift? At least a dozen. Yes. It's time to move on. And they're not winning Village of the Year anymore. No, no, no. It's not a safe place to live. I think it's nice that Tom remembers that his dad had a suit. Yeah, I think so. Made out of that fabric. I think that's nice. So they find the note. It says, my darling. It's the weirdest note. Because that's what Katie would say. Yeah. Again, the placement of the note, the finding of the note, the fact that it's clearly ripped from a pad on some PA's (laughs) pad. Yeah. Is weird. And Barnaby needs to find Joyce. But where's Joyce? She's out painting. She's in watercolor class. Yes, she is. She looks especially beautiful in this episode. Yes, she does. The dress that she's wearing when she's out watercoloring is gorgeous and flattering. And she looks like she's having a good time. She almost looks like she's leading the class. She kind of does. Which is kind of strange. But it's great. She's supposed to be untalented at everything. And she gives up a whole bunch of stuff. Of course she does, because that's her job, is to know everything. And then becomes the Keystone Cops race to the Ice House. So an Ice House would have been where they would have stored ice cut in the winter in a subterranean space, like covered by, like, what, sawdust? Sawdust. Sawdust and straw. It seems kind of far away from the house, though. It's really far away. By the time you got it back to the big house, it would be melted. Again... Did they have electricity out there? I'm assuming it's a battery-operated speaker because there's candles. Why doesn't Jones call some constables to come pick him up and drive him there? Here's another thing I don't get. So Tom says, you go get Katie Snopes. Yep. Soper. Soper. Sorry. You go get Katie Soper. It's not far from here, yep. right? And, and he's going to go do his thing. And then we see Katie getting in her hatchback of doom yep and then she has to drive like over hill and dale to get to get to town or to get to the estate at least a mile of road and yet jones is supposed to be able to just walk there quick just running across the field (laughs) (laughs) i mean there's a it looks like they're pretty far i don't know oh wait it's the final scene with deborah milton Care, played by Carolyn Backhouse. Yeah. Who is another, Mom, Mom, I got a role on Midsummer. I get to clean a guy's shoes and look put out. Did she not notice that he was taking giant candelabras and candles and his iPod player somewhere else? And his wireless Bluetooth speaker or yes. whatever? I, you know what? I think she's probably just happy when he leaves the house. I think so. If he's not there. Okay. I'm Milton. 
I've killed two people. Mm -hmm. It's time for a booty call. Mm -hmm. So I've set it up with Beatrice. Mm -hmm. Okay. But Katie shows up. Before that, what kind of booty call is he doing that he's got all these candles and he's playing Requiem? That is not booty call music. Plus, okay, I looked. I watched the scene twice. Where are they going to do the bootying? Yeah, there's not like a mattress down there or something. Nothing. Um... I don't think he's planning a booty call. I, th- I think that may have been their love nest in the past, but something's broken in him now. And so he has to eradicate anybody related to his infidelity. So does his he hypocrisy. think he's going to kill Beatrice? I think his plan is to kill Beatrice. He has the scissors. Yeah. So he's going to kill Katie because she showed up. Well, and then he's going to kill Beatrice when she gets there. Oh. So he could have killed four people. Yeah. And it would have came out very quickly that he was the dude. I don't know. Would anybody have found them if he put them in the ice house? I gotta think Barnaby would have looked there. It's a sin in God's eyes. Does God go to the ice house? He clearly snaps. Oh, he's loony. But what's his trigger? What's the instigating event? The the note? The note that he has no idea that Sonia has. No, he must have figured it out. How could he have figured it out? She kept it quiet, only shared it with her friend. Like, was he watching her for a long time? Well, she does start to act really crazy. So maybe he just assumes that she's fretting because she has the note. It's a reach. It is. It's quite the reach. One phone call between Sonia and somebody that we didn't know in which she says, I have a note. Yes. Solves that whole thing. Gives an inciting incident. Makes him go around the bend. Or... Some kind of indication that she was going to talk to his wife. Yeah. At some point. Something. If she'd just put it in the mail, if she had mailed it to the vicar, none of this would have happened. None of this would have happened. He's amazing. I don't know how he knows about the note. I don't know how he knows to be at the church to see the vicar. I don't know how he knows all those things. You know what I don't know? What? Why Tom would ever need a ticket pocket. Well, he gets tickets occasionally. That's not where a ticket pocket is. No, I know. You're, you're referencing like the inside of the jacket on the left. No, thing. it's up here. Right? No, where it's here. Oh, that pocket. Wait, you, this is great audio, by the yes, way. Yes, it is. This is fantastic audio. Men's jackets have two pockets, one on each side. On the outside, anyway, they usually yeah. have two pockets. And if, and if you're not counting the one where your pocket square goes, a ticket pocket is on the right-hand side above the standard pocket, and it is purely to put your train ticket in. Wow. I would want a train ticket pocket. Even if you'd never rode trains? I hope to ride trains again. (laughs) In your tweeds? Yep. Not if you're going to the city. The boys arrive in time. They stop Milton from killing everybody. What was his plan? Beatrice shows up ready for a booty call and is like, what's going on? (laughs) Were you going to kill me? Maybe I should just go out with Luke. He's nice. And I'm like, does he have power to that (laughs) Well, and Katie is saying, but we were just going to pray. Like, no, honey, he was going to cut your head off with some big scissors. (laughs) You don't understand. Is that what the kids are calling it these days? First, he was never going to be with you anyway. He wasn't going to leave his wife to be with you, Katie. Yeah. And second, he was about to snip your head off. Yeah. Snip, snip. (laughs) Just bad stuff. Barnaby lets the Woodleys off. Because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Right? There is no crime there, really. What would be the crime? Failure to report? Failure to offer assistance. No, I guess. They could, it could be 
kind of like a neglect charge. But of course, the judge would be like, but I knew him and he was a son of a bitch. So I'm okay with that. Yeah. I have to tell you something awesome. Okay. So Gerald, speaking of the bastard, (laughs) is played by Nigel Williams. Okay. Now, Nigel's not had a prolific career. Okay. He plays a bit part in this. Yes. Dies real fast. Yep. But before this, he was in something awesome. I'm going to tell you the title of this awesome thing that he was in, and I want you to guess what it was. Okay, so like, this isn't a bad movie Mark Cena. No, no, no. This is a made-for-TV movie that Nigel Williams, who plays Gerald Woodley, the shortly-lived bastard in the garden. Okay. Um, it's from 1975. It was called Great Big Groovy Horse. Okay. What do you think that's about? Just guess. A great big. Great big groovy horse. Groovy horse. That's what it's about. It is a musical retelling of the legend of the Trojan horse. Wow. <laughs> How was that ever pitched? Oh, if you could see the font on the title. It's so awesome. I'm putting the putting that movie poster in a clip in the notes. <laughs> a great big groovy horse. <laughs> wow. With a lot of like strong dudes inside. Yep, and Sexburg. <laughs> Starring Bonus and Sexberg. <laughs> nice corpse. All right, who's the best corpse? Well, I gotta say, I like the vicar. I agree. Yeah. Sonia dies dramatically, but the vicar is the better corpse. Yep. With his, his foot up, and then they look at his neck. It doesn't really look like his, he was almost beheaded. The cut no. doesn't even look like it goes halfway around. No. George is like, yeah, he's almost beheaded. I'm like, really? But then you remember, if you drive scissors, if you cut something round, like cylindrical with scissors, the cut is actually deepest in the middle. Yeah. So it, he might have like a Pez head, kind of. If you, like the top of a Pez dispenser. <laughs> Pez head vicar is definitely the name of this episode. <laughs> you know it would. It would like, it would fall backwards. <laughs> Pez are not coming out, okay? (laughs) There's no Pez in that vicar. (laughs) All right, after the credits. Uh, Okay, so what happens? Matthew, Luke, and Beatrice are going to run the tailoring shop. Their lease has been renewed because Deborah Milton is A-OK on her own with her husband going to prison. And I got to think she gets the trust fund. Who? Sonia's dead. No, but like Luke... Luke should inherit the trust fund. Yeah, Luke... He could get a credit card or something. (laughs) (laughs) Morris buys everything. (laughs) It's like, I want one of those and one of those. Come back a year later and it's not Milton Cross anymore. It's Bingham Cross. Yep. Morris Land. Sexburg. (laughs) Katie and Derek have a discussion that they need to have. Yeah. I think they're. I think they'll make it through it though. And maybe if they're really good parents, they let their son change his name from Gary to something else. <laughs> Trevor goes to the pub. Yeah. I think what I'd like to see is Matthew and Deborah getting together because Matthew obviously is a, n- a nice man. He is. And you know, Deborah needs somebody to treat her right. She might have some baggage. I would think that Matthew would treat her right and understand that bad. bad. You don't think Morris would kind of put the moves on Deborah and try to consolidate their kingdoms and own a whole village? Uh, I think he could, but he's so nice. (laughs) I have to confess, I I lust after Milton's house. (laughs) 
The big house. But again, it leads to the interesting vicar interview. Oh, what happened with your last vicar? Oh. He's a a Pez dispenser now. (laughs) Do you want the job? (laughs) No. They offered me a job in Badger's Drift. I'm going to go take that. No. Mistake. 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 I have two horrible movies. Okay. This movie is terrible. I bet Mark's seen it. All right. The first one has Nicholas Jones in it, and he played the vicar, Archie Moreland, in this episode. Okay. The New York Times review that is on the, the case for the DVD for this movie yes. says, quite a picture. Quite a picture. <laughs> you love it when you see a quote like that from wow. a review because you know there's like something right before and after it that is important for context, yeah. right? <laughs> but they've cut that out. Um, it's from 1971. An abusive aristocratic stockbroker is killed by his wife and daughter who try to make it look like a suicide. When no one notices he's gone, they put his body in a box and throw it into a pond at a work site. A short time later, someone unseen enters the family home. It's the husband, the guy they just killed. First, he frightens his daughter by hanging upside down from the rafters. Then the next morning, he comes downstairs for breakfast, looking perfectly normal in a suit and tie. No, never seen this movie or heard about it. In the U.S., it was released as Crucible of Horror. Oh, wait a minute. I've seen Crucible. That's right. That's Crucible of Horror. Yeah, in the U.K., it was called The Corpse. The Corpse. (laughs) Yep. I have seen Crucible. It's not nearly as good of a title. I didn't remember it, but I've definitely seen Crucible of Horror. All right. That's a point for me, though, because you couldn't guess it. All right. Ready? Yeah. I realized today uh, in doing the finishing touches on my research that we started Horrible Movies, Bet Mark's Seen It. After we had done kind of overviews of the main characters, yeah, the main players. So I had never looked to see if John Nettles or Jane Wymark or those folks had been in any bad movies. Yeah. So I, I just took a glance and I found one that John Nettles is in. Oh. oh. It's also from 1970. Bergerac. No. No. Uh, it's from 1970. And the tagline was, never before were they together again for the second time. What the hell is that supposed to mean? I don't know. Here's the plot. Okay. Two nightclub owners find themselves in trouble with the law. One of them goes to his English lord brother for help, and the lord is later murdered. He swaps places with his dead brother to solve the murder. So this is like, uh, like, um, the show, the movie where they change. Like Trading Places? Not Trading Places. The one with the famous people in it. The one with, uh. The the man, the prince and the pauper. Oh, it's like a prince and a pauper story. Kind where, of, yeah. But they're identical twin brothers, apparently. But one is a lord, and the other okay. one isn't. I don't know why. Anyway, okay, it sounds really familiar. John Nettles plays a guy named Dixon. It's a bit part, but he's in it. Does, has this got Sammy Davis Jr. in it? Yes. Oh, I know <laughs> this movie. This is called. Uh, Isn't it a sequel? Yeah. Okay. So it's Sammy Davis Jr. and that British guy from the Brat Pack. Peter Lawford. Peter Lawford. Yeah. Um, Something about time. Do you remember the name of the first movie? Salt and Pepper. Yes. That's the first movie. Very different than Salt and Pepper. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it does have time in it. You're so close. More time something? One more time. I held up a finger. 
One more time. That's right. One more wow. time. 1970. Yeah. Jerry Lewis directed it. Uh, that whoa. tells you a lot. Whew. It's that kind of movie. Yeah, it's madcap. Yes. <laughs> when you guessed, when you asked if Sammy Davis Jr. was in it, I knew you had it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I saw this movie as a kid on, like, Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon movie. Yeah, it's a it's a madcap. Everybody running around wearing costumes that people should be able to see straight through, but they're convinced by. And yeah. at one point... Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. is dressed in like a, a King Louis wig and oh yeah it's, yeah it's crazy that's fantastic <laughs> yeah I remember that movie nicely done you got a point I got a point one 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 he's making a comeback what's our next episode our next episode epi- she asks knowing because we've already talked about it yes episode 75 uh, season 13 episode 2 the sword of Guillaume they go to the seaside they do and meet the new Barnaby wouldn't you like with to his rumpy pumpy seaside <laughs> uh, it's one of my favorite episodes and it has Mark Gaddis in it who is fantastic mm-hmm. and a woman who is trying to put the make on Barnaby Aren't they always? Yes, they are. It's because he's so awesome. And it has seaside amusement park rides. Yes. The haunted house. Like Brighton. Yeah. Yep. I think it's in Brighton. But they call it something else, I think. I think so. And the mayor. Don't forget the mayor. The mayor and his chain. Yep. He's such a, a, what do they call him? A cowboy. Yep. He's a roofing cowboy. Yep. (laughs) Uh, But that's next time. Yes. So until then, bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Anyways, welcome to How Sarah and Mark Are Uptight. <laughs> Get it out! Okay. Okay. Five, four, three, two, one. Now, false start.